welcome to 30 for Knowledge. My name is Danny. I'm George. And this week, George has a very thoroughly researched topic, and I'm sure will lead to nothing but smiles and laughter. Thorough is... An understatement. It is or... a overstatement. An overstatement? No. I mean, like, it, I, I feel like I've been researching this for a long time, but I feel like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be as, as deep divey as I've done in the past. Oh, I was, I was going to say, I think we can categorically say that your stuff is usually more thorough, thoroughly researched and in-depth than my stuff. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of information. Okay. There's going to be a that's, lot of learning. That's all we want here on 30 for Knowledge. And today's topic is animals in space. Space, space, space. Although I am just going to jump in and be like, hey, if you're listening to this and you enjoy our stuff, consider giving us a nice review or a five star or a thumbs up on whatever platform you listen to. I have to get that out of the way because the stats show that most people don't listen to the end. So, you know, I have to work with what we have. If you've got any questions, any comments or any corrections, please send them to 30thornageoutlook.com. At gmail.com, on Instagram, on Twitter. And maybe a TikTok in the future, we don't know yet. And wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's be honest, if you're listening to this, you probably know us and you can probably just, you know, phone us or something. Yeah, That's drop it. us a text. Yeah. But now the number is. So, yeah, I don't know where the idea for this comment, this um, episode came from, really. Just... I think I think I just like the sound of the name. Animals in space. And I regret space. how far I've gone into oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, was it like me? Because I think I, I was researching something else for a previous episode. And I think I got like two Wikipedia pages in and got very sad. I was like, I'm not doing this. Uh, well, I, I did that, but just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're more professional out of the two of us. I also think, you know, why am I doing something sad, something dark? Because... You know, we, we live need, in a dark time. <laughs> we live in a dark time and we need to look into the abyss. Yeah. The abyss that's back. Yeah. But also, these animals deserve to be remembered. Yes. And we can't forget the contribution to progress that these animals provided. Agreed. And, and led us to great things like the SpaceX launch yes. recently. Topical. That actually went super well. Yeah. Until it spun out of control <laughs> and blew up horrifically. And, you know, I'm not being conspiratorial here at all because <laughs> I, I do believe we went to the moon. However, <laughs> why have we not made it back? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be woo-woo, but like, that is, it's, it's odd. Sus. It's like, that's what, it's like, you know, if you look back at rose-tinted glasses, ah, oh, the 90s were the best. No one thought the 90s was the best. Not at the time. No. Anyway, <laughs> um, so let's get on with animals in space. Space. Are you ready? Space. space. I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Do you have a favourite animal, Danny? <laughs> Did any cats go into space? Uh, we'll talk about it, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Let's say cat for now. Okay, cool. Mine too. I love dogs, but yeah. I, I try to think practically and a dog is just a lot of work. It is a dog. It is a lot of work. I mean, we could talk about just being 30 <laughs> <laughs> and how dogs are a massive responsibility. <laughs> Bigger than babies, perhaps. Anyway. Um, so before the first manned space flight, there was the worry that human bodies would be able to cope with weightlessness and scientists worried about the effects of cosmic radiation Natch. on like their pilots' bodies, right? So, and as science normally goes, just like in our previous surgery episodes, check those out, episodes 8 and 10, self-plug. Ooh, uh, just as science normally goes, organic matter, other than humans, were the first test subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, which animal do you think was the first animal to go to space? I mean, we're going to get into it, but just going to give have a wild guess first. 
I want to say dog. You want to say a dog? Okay. Um, At least that's the one I remember. Well, not remember, but I remember. It I is. Remember. I think it's one of the most well remembered. Yeah. And we will get on to Laika. That's the one I remember. So Laika I'm going to the... guess I'm wrong. <laughs> no, Laika wasn't the first animal yeah. in space. So let's set the scene. The year was it? Mice? No, it's not mice oh, either. Okay. Getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That, that's usually when I think of scientific test subject. I think mice. And mice did go. Oh, ooh. but because they're so small, the small ones don't really get shout outs. They don't really get names. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll get to it. The year was 1947. Mm. Cast your mind back. back. You, were, you were a twinkle somewhere, Danny. I, th- I, think, I, think my, As was I. I think my dad might have been a twinkle. Oh, point. wow. Well, no, maybe, maybe not yet. Anyway. India and Pakistan gained independence from Great Britain. Miracle on 34th Street premiered in the US in May of that year. Miracle on 34th Street? 1947. Wow. And an unknown object crashed in New Mexico, which is better known... As the Roswell UFO incident. Yes. And on the 20th of February of that year, 1947, fruit flies were sent into space, (laughs) becoming the first animal to enter the great unknown. Barely an animal. Insect. They're just dust with wings. (laughs) And before that, in terms of organic matter, it was like seeds and plants had gone gone up before. But yeah, fruit flies were the first ones to go up. Wow. In terms of just record keeping, and because I imagine like the earlier space flights didn't get so far. Uh, or they had to kind of like build up to reaching space. NASA recognises the height of 62 miles, mm-hmm. which is called the Kalman Line, as the official start of space. That's it, yeah. Anything below 62 miles. It's technically underneath Earth atmosphere. Exactly. Um, so that's the kind of the goal, the goalpost yeah. to get past is 62 miles, the Kalman Line. And the fruit flies were travelling in an old V-2 rocket developed by the Nazis. Match. And captured towards the end of World War II. And they reached a height of 106 miles. Nice. Yeah. So they did it. So fruit flies, living up to their name. In, 19, in 1947. In 1947. Wow. So this is this is off the back of World yeah. War II. Like. That, those were barely spaceships. They were, those, they were literally just missile launch systems with a capsule on top of something. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, so how you do, deliver a missile... They've just like made a compartment for fruit flies <laughs> to go in. And I'm going to go before we get any further. I'm going to start put a disclaimer in is that I'm not a historian. I'm not an astrophysicist. Um, I know very little about space stuff. You probably know more than me. Yeah. You have some good factoids that I'm, I'm hoping yeah. you'll throw in at some point. You know, love Interstellar, love sci-fi. Love it. Love it. But, you know, in terms of what G-Force is and why it's there, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, people don't come to this podcast for information, knowledge or facts. Wait a minute. (laughs) But, you know, why fruit flies? Why are they first? So fruit flies actually share around 75% of our genetic makeup. Yeah, but doesn't a tree, like, share, like, 80% of us or something? But a tree's too big. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't get a tree on a spade, on a missile capsule. And isn't it something crazy in terms of, like, bananas as well? I'm sure that probably. bananas are in the 80s, 90s. I, I, feel, I feel like this is before people really understood, like, relative figures. And, and, like, <laughs> and like, one scientist was like, well, it's technically 75% the same. That's pretty good. And everyone was like, what, 75, what? Um, so, you know, thinking that, because they share 75% of our makeup, whatever would happen to them would surely 75% happen. 75% would happen to us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Um, How could they even tell? What, because of DNA? No, but I mean, I mean, like, the fruit flies get back and what? Do they put them in, are they doing like a little in biopsy, biopsy on... Autopsy. On... Di- vivisection. Yeah, of course they are. 
They're doing a vivisection on a fruit fly being like, mm, yes, he's fine. Yeah, but it's like, how else do we know about like the, the internal lives of insects? We've just got really, really tiny microscopes and tiny scanners. 1947? Yeah, sure. Sure, all right. Yeah. So <laughs> so anything that might affect their genes, such as cosmic radiation, could end up affecting ours. So it made them like a little great, great, great scapegoat for experimentation. Okay. You know, Makes starting sense. small. Yeah. yeah. People, no one gets angry at a dead fruit fly. Which is sad. R.I.P. No. Not only that, but flies also have a short gestation period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they mature quickly. So you've got like an endless like adult supply. You're going to have a lot of subjects very quickly. You don't need to like grow a new astronaut. I thought you were going to go in a direction of they have a short gestation period. So if there were hypothetical long-term effects of space flight, we'd see them very quickly in a fruit flight. But you just went straight for, no, they're quick to replace when they're yeah. destroyed. Okay. They're quick to have babies. Cool. So on the way back down, because they came back, mm. anyway, on the way back down, a small container containing the flies, so they got up to the Kármán line or mm-hmm. past it, and a small container containing the flies ejected from the rocket and the flies parachuted down in New Mexico. Wow. Yeah. So they were recovered and scientists found they were still alive. They, they must have been really confused, but they were alive. Uh, the cosmic radiation had no genetic effects on them. Okay. They weren't mutated in any way, meaning that tests on other organic life forms was approved, could be continued. So thumbs up, fruit fly survived. Go team. Let's get bigger. <laughs> and I imagine they were expecting or maybe were worried about, you know, like, do you know the film The Fly? I haven't seen it, but I know of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, they're expecting, like, to open the container and, like, the flies have, like, <laughs> broken, like, another arm or something yeah. like that. Uh, but shout out and thank you to HowStuffWorks.com for that information. Uh, so the flies paved the way for Albert the First, and, and Albert the First was a rhesus monkey to take the oh. first rhesus monkey to take a trip into space. Are rhesus monkeys rare? <laughs> so rhesus monkeys are also known as mesos macaques. Okay. They're like a subspecies of primates. Okay. They're the monkeys you see causing havoc across India in yeah, populated okay. places. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're the type that will like pickpocket you, hold your stuff for ransom for food. Do you think a NASA engineer went to Thailand and had a lot of their stuff stolen by these monkeys and went back to NASA and was like, hey, I have an idea? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, either they're really intelligent or I must have my I, revenge. I, I can't get my wallet back, so I'm going to do the next best thing. Yeah. I mean, they're the type of monkeys who don't give a shit and will rip the food from your hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like a Southeast Asian seagull. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like those are those, those particular colonies. Anyway. I, don't know why, I don't know why I thought rhesus monkeys were, were um, rare or endangered or something, but it just sounded weird to me. It's like taking an endangered species and be like, you know what, put them in a rocket. It's like putting a panda in a, yeah. in a spaceship being like, what, why? Like, <laughs> Let's get a dodo and fire okay. it in space. <laughs> we found the last dodo, quickly. <laughs> get rid. In, in a capsule. Everyone has like, it's common knowledge now, they're all gone, just get rid. <laughs> we can't be asked to explain this. Um, but those, those, those particular colonies, colonies are like that. They've evolved and around humans to be like yeah, that, yeah. that kind of nuisance. They're up to no good. No. So we can't tar every macaque with the same brush. No, no? just most of them. But they does tell us that those monkeys are smart, adaptive, yeah. intelligent, and capable of being trained. They have well. eyes and fingers, which is more than what the fruit flies had. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Before we get real into that, though, the studies that were taking place, they fall under the category of aeromedical. Okay. Yeah. Because they're primarily seeing 
like the medical effects of exactly right, okay. and like you know the kind of medical needs that would be required for humans to be able to survive it does sound a bit like a way of getting around any kind of laws of <laughs> shooting an it animal into the sky official yeah yeah <laughs> and as to nasa's reasoning um why they're doing it because ethics is going to be a massive part of what we're talking about mm-hmm. right and as to nasa's reasoning behind the decisions captain david g simmons um, of Wright Patterson Air Force Base. He helped sponsored the experiments on live animals. And he said, today there is no place on the Earth's surface more than 40 hours travel from any other place. So the question of the feasibility of travel beyond the reaches of the atmosphere inevitably arises. And also Americans, particularly back then, we're talking about like the beginnings of the Cold War as mm-hmm. well. America is seen as like, you know, the great innovator, the great explorer. And so it's like, we've done all this down here on the land. Obviously, we need to go up. Next step. You can't just be chill. You yeah. can't just like enjoy it. No, no, we've got to carry can't on. rest in your laurels. He says, but what are the problems of space flight in a rocket? By theorising the various possible dangers and limiting factors, they can be appraised and appropriate means of protection against each surmised. However, only by actually performing the experiment can one prove or disprove the validity of the hypothesis. Learn better ways of protecting against known hazards and realise for the first time the existence of unexpected dangers. Only the recovery of a live animal showing no demonstrable ill effects will permit the claim that no major difficulty has been overlooked. When you put it like that in such official language, it sounds very fine. Essentially saying, we can theorise all we want. But until you launch a monkey into space. We don't know. Yeah. So that was, you know, NASA's reasoning behind it. So in order for them to do this, uh, scientists had to create some sort of pressurised capsule. So we're talking about those World War II V2 rockets. Uh, Had to create some sort of pressurised capsule to go inside the nose cone of the rocket. But the available space inside the capsule was extremely limited. And this is brand new technology. They've got nothing to go on. So there's few precedents for this to go by. And, you know, we don't have the same types of fuel or alloys we have now. So everything is just, you know, they're making it as they go on. And plus the outside environment against which the capsule was to offer protection was one that no mammal had ever experienced Mm. um, or penetrated. So, yeah, you know... All of it is... It's all new. It's all brand new. They're on the frontier of this. Exactly. So a lot of this information is taken from the NASA's... The the history section of the NASA website as well. So Albert I... Note that he was called Albert the First. Albert the First. Oh, God. Weighing nine pounds or four, four kilograms, he was um, anaesthetized, strapped into the console and attached with nodes and sensors. So this, that, Okay. That, that's nice that they anaesthetized him. And it's he, nice that they knocked him out yeah. before the flight. Um, so they can monitor his like, vital signs mm. as they go up. So if he were to die quite early on in the launch pro- like process, it's like obviously like something is going to be there yeah. that's going to affect them. Other than like dread and fear yeah 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 so unfortunately the project was plagued with a whole series oh, of operational man. failures okay. i no, i was just gonna say i guess we shouldn't be shocked because as you said it's all brand new they've never done this before and they have no idea what's going to happen and they're just gonna go for it and we're still getting it wrong today yep so the apparatus for transmitting the respiratory movements failed even before the time of launch. So the monitoring, like, Albert's breathing, like, that was already broke before oh, nice. it even, even went up. Nailed it. Um, it probably made no real difference, though, 
because there are indications that Albert died as a result of breathing difficulties in the cramped space before the rocket even oh the so 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 when you say there were difficulties so not even in like the the prep up to launch just at launch it went wrong and he died from breathing difficulties both so oh, okay. the the program for submitting his the data on his breathing uh-huh. went wrong was already broken okay and then I imagine they realized that he was dead from the the heart machines cool even before it launched wow. so poor Albert the first died of suffocation before the rocket even left the ground oh. and even the parachute recovery system devised to like lower the nose cone um with the animal capsule back to earth failed to function properly so just and, crashed and just crashed <laughs> and albert would have been killed upon impact even if he had not died previously <laughs> we have to we have to we have to laugh because it's so awful it's so awful <laughs> And it just makes like it just makes scientists look <laughs> no, so bad. <laughs> no, it's just because like, I just picture the the conversation like just as like it's about to launch. It's like oh my god, it's all gone wrong. Like what's happened? And then it launches. Like oh no, like he's not going to breathe. It's like when he get back, like like when he gets back, we'll, we'll have the data we need to figure this out. We've got a dead monkey on our hands, and then it just crashes. Right, and they're like oh, we can't figure any of this out. But well, talking about the data, so the recorder placed within the capsule was successfully recovered because okay. it was the nose cone like device of lowering the nose cone gently gotcha. um, that broke but the recorder of the data and stuff like that survived box or something so during all of these experiments they're they're taking measurements on like telemetry g-force yeah. cosmic radiation cosmic rays x-rays all that type of stuff so it's like what is what is the capsule and the rocket being subjected to yeah. as it leaves earth's atmosphere um, so yeah, the recorder was recovered and it showed no evidence of physiological activity at any time during the flight, which could mean that either the animal was dead from the outset or that there had been a complete failure, not only of the mechanism for recording respiration, but also of the electrocardiographic apparatus that was also attached to the subject. It's kind of one of those things where... Hmm, pick, pick your... Yeah, pick your... Pick, pick, pick your... Pick your broken thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, each one, it's just like, what have we gained from this experiment? Um, so his capsule only made it to a height of 39 miles um, on June 11th, 1948. So not even making it past so the space So the rocket line. didn't even make it into space then? No. Good Lord. That, that, that is a, a colossal failure in several Massive. ways. Yeah. So the net result of the first large mammal experiment... Our rocket doesn't work. Our way for keeping the animal doesn't work. Yeah. Our landing doesn't work. Okay, we've got a lot of work to do. And so NASA actually wrote on that, um, what did they gain? Experience for the scientists who had taken part in it and the incentive to do better next time. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was poor Albert the First, RIP. Rip. Absolute, you know, hopefully, you know, the experience was enough to support at least they knocked them out i just i i yeah because yeah. i imagine any of that happening whilst conscious yeah, yeah awful uh so albert the second was next a year later so on <laughs> do four... you think albert the second watched the launch of albert the <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope not. um yeah could you imagine it's like watch your brother going up oh let's turn the screen off Ooh. quick change the channel <laughs> So on the 14th of June, 1949, Albert II was shot into space. Okay. Instrumentation was improved. Nice. As were the cramped conditions inside the spacecraft. 
Sadly, the parachute recovery system was still lacking. Ay, ay, ay. And Albert II died on impact. Uh, please tell me he was knocked out as well beforehand. Like, I, I imagine they use anesthesia on him mm, as well. I think so, yeah. I will assume as much until someone tells me otherwise. Yeah. Two more rhesus monkeys named I'm Albert. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, the scientist <laughs> knew what was going to happen. And he was taking his revenge out on Thailand's tourist industry. He's like, what have you got against these monkeys? <laughs> Um, two more rhesus monkeys named Albert III and Albert IV also died on their V2 flights. Um, yeah. Al- Albert I was killed almost instantly after launch on September 16th, 1949. His V2 suffered a tail explosion 10 Wait, this is Albert III? This is Albert III. Third. His rocket blew up 10.7 seconds after liftoff, liftoff. Okay. And was destroyed just three miles above the launch pad. Do you think the monkeys, when they're in their little habitation space... And the scientists come in and they look at all of them and they pick one and go, Albert V. Do you think the rest of the monkeys go, oh, oh God, God. Yeah. <laughs> The claw. <laughs> the claw is our master. <laughs> yeah, it's like who will be chosen this time. But, you know, it's like there's a bit like a, a bit of a flex on like the NASA history website for some of it where it's like, amongst my other research, it's like it went three miles above the launch. Whereas NASA tries to affect that with, they describe three miles as, it went a few miles. <laughs> details, details. It sounds slightly better. Details. Yeah. Several miles above the Earth's surface. Albert IV, though, although he still suffered a similar fate to Albert II, yeah. where the instrumentation was better, it launched, the monkey survived the launch, and that was December 8th, 1949. He reached an altitude of 79 miles. So he got into outer space. He got into outer space, and sensors gathered and transmitted his biomedical data throughout the flight. But the monkey was killed when his parachute failed. They, they Four flights in, they couldn't fix the parachute. They really, really, really need to fix <laughs> the parachute recovery system. Good gravy. Yeah. So it's, it's sending... I mean... We'll get on to parachute recovery systems a tiny bit, but at least the parachute recovery systems were there. Yeah. The intention was to bring these animals back. Of course. But, you know, obviously it has failed over and over and over again. Um, And thank you to Popsci.com for that extra information about the Alberts there. So the experiments continued in 1949, moving from the V2s. Uh, to a newly developed rocket called the Aero-B. An actual rocket this time, and rather than a missile that had been hollowed out. Well, I mean, I feel like, yeah, so like pro- made more bespoke yeah. for what they were trying to do, rather than using, you know, Nazi <laughs> technology that was yeah. meant to blow countries up. <laughs> That's like. a hell of a way to say. Yeah. <laughs> Those scientists were using Nazi tech to kill animals <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> oh, you have to laugh. <laughs> Uh, so the Aero B was like aptly named because of a, a combination of Aero Jet Booster mm-hmm. uh, and a Bumblebee second stand. So ergo Aero B. Uh, a whole group of animals <laughs> was sent up on the 20th of September 1951. A whole bunch. A whole bunch. Like an arc of animals okay. were sent up. You know, this it's, is, it's the reverse. It's, <laughs> <laughs> two of every, every one that we don't like. So we're on the, on the flight... Um, <laughs> just, when saying flight just makes you think of in-flight entertainment and it's just so bad there was none and at least this had one monkey uh, Albert the Sixth okay but I feel like they got a bit bored of Alberts at this point or okay. it's just like we can't this is this is showing our it's track record it's a bad record. omen really. yeah it's showing our track record so it also they nicknamed him Yorick okay as well that's, that's nice uh, so Yorick went up and 11 mice cool yeah See. and finally 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 they sorted out 
The parachute. We've got the damn parachute. Oh, thank, thank heavens. But. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's going to be a few moments of but. 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 I think this monkey had it the worst of it all. Oh, man. Which is really sad. So two hours after impact, that is back on the Earth's surface. So the parachute worked. They landed. landed. Okay. In New Mexico. Uh, but two hours after impact, Yorick unfortunately died. Uh, the data recorded during the flight, as well as the later autopsy, suggested that death was not an ill effect of the flight or the launch or travel through space, but rather the landing shock or heat prostration. So essentially, he's landed in the hot New Mexico sun oh, the heat... in a oh, container. Oh, God. And he's just basically overheated and died. Brutal. The NASA website describes it as a slight delay in retrieving and op- opening the capsule after it successfully parachuted down, before going on to say that the monkey's small compartment became much too hot in the midday sun of southern New Mexico. That's pretty rough. It's really, really rough. Out of all the ways to go. That's, that's probably the worst. That's, that's one. Rather than like, instantly just being exploded. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to wrap up the monkey chat <laughs> with two more special mentions, because America went bigger and started sending chimps and stuff, bigger mammals, eventually in the 1960s, um, who who I'll touch on in a bit, but I'm going to start wrapping the kind of like monkey chat up, particularly the Alfred chat, Albert chat rather. Okay. So according to space.com, in May of 1959, America recorded a milestone and recovered two primates alive. That's a jump. After a space flight. The one before 1959 was 1951. Wow, okay. So there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a lull. (laughs) You've killed too many animals. (laughs) Like, stop. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's more because the Cold War was happening. Yeah. And so it's like, we've got other things to think about. I'm trying to remember when the Russians sent a man up. Um, so 60, it wasn't, was it in the 60s or the 50s? Yuri. Yuri um, Gagarin. Yuri, uh, yeah, Yuri Gagarin. Um, so yeah, that, that was a massive trigger for... Mm. So I think we, the Americans like lost interest in it. Oh, I'm be shocked. And then the Cold War, they were fighting on so many fronts, the space race being one of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they that, that kind of big jump, I think, is like, oh, we need to get back to this. No, like we, we're... You know, we've got the nuclear arms race and, and the weapons race. And it's like, oh, this is happening as well. Yeah. Let's keep going. So in 1959, America finally managed to recover a primate alive after a space flight. So a rhesus monkey named Abel. <laughs> okay. And a squirrel monkey named Miss Baker. Nice. Miss Baker reached an altitude of 300 miles aboard a Jupiter. Hell, 300 miles. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's high. That's a big jump. Um, bearing in mind... Space, the space line's what, 62 miles? Yeah. So they, they got up there. They, they nailed it. They've made sure of that. So this time it was aboard a Jupiter-type rocket. Cool. Rather than the Aero B, and they were retrieved unharmed. Sadly, Abel died several days later during an operation to remove the electrodes from under their oh, skin. Oh, crying out loud. So, you know, I'd still, I would still say that's linked to the space travel. Uh, why would he... Oh, God. I didn't realise the electrodes were, like... Implanted. In, uh, grim. Yeah. But... Both monkeys appeared on the cover of Life magazine in June 1959. Wow. I'm Celebrated. Sh- I'm sure they appreciated that a great deal. I'm sure they cared. I'm sure they loved I'm it. sure they cared loads. <laughs> um, but Miss Baker, though, however, in 1971, she moved to the US Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. She, how long did they live? She lived for a long time. 
She entertained museum visitors and she drew in 100 to 150 letters a day from school children. Wow. So like kids were writing to Miss Baker. And in celebration of the 25th anniversary of her space flight, so still alive, uh, Miss Baker was treated to a rubber duck. Wow. And her, her favourite, strawberry gelatin with bananas. That's, that's something. Yeah. Along with well wishes from thousands of people. I mean, that's good. I'm glad to hear that she did okay, considering the the path of dead animals behind her. Yeah, her predecessors. Yeah, um, and her, like, co-pilot. And it's like, if you survive, you're famous. Yeah. Yeah, living that, like, charmed life after that. That gelatin and banana all day long. <laughs> in 1984, though, Miss Baker died of kidney failure at a clinic in Auburn University after attaining the record for oldest living squirrel monkey. I wonder, if the, I wonder if anyone thought, like, hmm, does space make you live longer? Well, this is the thing. I bet, like, NASA was a slightly smug about this, being like, ha <laughs> see, it's not all that bad. She lived to be forever. It only took, like, 17 other right. animals. And not just chimps. Yeah. You know, flies, mice, yeah. etc. A lot of Nazi tech. It took a lot, <laughs> but we did it. She's, But she's buried on the grounds at the US Space and Rocket Centre. That's pretty cool, actually, because I, I, I didn't know about uh, this animal. Yeah. Uh, and... And, and the part she played. So that's pretty cool. And it's really cute. Like, there's always, like, a few monk bananas on top of her tombstone. Oh. So people come and visit and leave a monkey for that her. That is very cute. Leave a monkey, leave a banana for her. That's very cute. Nice, isn't it? And shortly after Miss, ba- Miss Baker and Abel were returned to Earth, France had a go. Of course they did. And they, at sending the first cat in space. Oh, no. Can you imagine? <laughs> Oh no. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna Okay, I'm gonna make no comment until I hear all the facts. Okay. And then I'm gonna make many a comment. And funnily enough, Monkey and Space.net had some great information on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean if you're gonna get the URL, you might as well get the URL. Oh I mean like the, the my my sources are wild for this, for this one. Um, I mean you started with howstuffworks.com. Which yeah. I was just like, okay, we'll see where this goes. It's starting to deteriorate. <laughs> So they write, among many animals which have been sent into space, only the French have sent a cat. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think since then, okay. there's been more. I, th- I think I was reading somewhere, I think Iran has tried to send a cat into space. Okay. We're much better at recovering the animals since, like, all of these experiments. So I think it has got better. I would hope so. But ethically, like, is it still okay? Probably not. The events that led that led to that launch happened in the early 1960s when the French government obtained numerous cats and put them into initial tests. It's okay. I t- so I just, I just thinking about cats going through tests just give me just like Instagram <laughs> and like TikTok yeah. vibes of just like absolute chaos. Yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the YouTube videos are starting to play through my head. Yeah, of just like cats being wild. Just... <laughs> like pulling off like every sensor and knocking down anything fragile or it's like if a, if a scientist put down like anything for a moment it's just like shh, 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 knocked off. yeah it's just like, <laughs> like nothing could be kept on a surface um so the cats were conditioned to live in small enclosed spaces which i feel like cats kind of like anyway i guess they're fine with it again they're not like dogs they don't uh, they're not as uh they're like a box yeah um, and they were suited in special space suits, which Aww. monitored their health conditions. Did you find any pictures? No. <laughs> um, and they were subjected, uh, subject, subjugated to various tests that would simulate launch and re-entry conditions, like compression chambers, centrifuges and rocket-propelled sleds. <laughs> 
The centrifuge one. <laughs> the spinning one. Yeah. It's so bad. Just a face like. Yeah. But again, I just want to see the Instagram videos and TikToks of scientists trying to work with cats. Oh, man. I, they must have recorded some of this. Or maybe this was before the age of them documenting everything. Um, I think it was probably well documented. By um, video? But no, probably not with video, no. But I mean, I don't want to see a cat spinning through a centrifuge. Like The idea of a cat getting trapped in a washing machine like breaks my heart. Yeah, but for science, no. <laughs> no, but they're not in a washing machine. They're in a centrifuge. I'm sure they had like a cat-specific harness. <laughs> or maybe God. not, maybe not. I just, I feel like this is worse than my surgery vivisection episodes. Or maybe it's because there's just so many happening. I think, yeah, it's because uh, because we started in the first 10 minutes. We lost about like eight monkeys. <laughs> We've lost like seven monkeys yeah. so far. Countless others along the way. But it's interesting that France is the only one to send in cats and multiple cats. Yeah. I, I just think that also it just it just seems also like very French. It's very cat. French, yeah. yeah. Um, in mid-October 1963, everything was ready to go. And there's a massive rumour that I kind of like a myth that a male cat called Felix mm-hmm. was chosen to undertake the first mission. Okay. But on the day of the launch, this soon-to-be space cat managed to escape. Ooh. Very, very French of him. <laughs> <laughs> very, very feline of him. But that is a myth that okay. has soon been debunked. But okay. big if true, is there anything more cat like that? <laughs> Everything is ready. We're good to go. Where is he? <laughs> the, day, the day before the launch, before the launch uh, CBA. He's gone. Like, I'm out. <laughs> I go when I'm damn well ready. Um, but instead, it was actually a female cat called Felicette. Oh, okay. Uh, and she was launched into space on the 18th of October, 1963. Cool. She was riding the French Veronique AG-1 rocket from the Algerian Sahara Desert rocket base. That's a lot of French in there. Yeah. And during her 15-minute long flight, she reached an altitude about 100 miles, smashed it. Smashed it. And safely returned to Earth alive. Yay! Yay! Happy, happy ending. Hooray for Felicette. Unfortunately, not a happy ending. Oh, This is the George. worst, worst bit. George. Worst, worst bit. Very, very sadly. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Okay. A okay, few right. months after her return. And like, not even like straight away, a few months after, mm-hmm. she was euthanised so the scientific team could examine her brain. Um, okay, that's sad. But at least it's not, like, horrific circumstances. It's... And can't you just, like, wait until she's older? Like, you can I, I think... examine her while she's alive, see what happens to her body when she passes away, then check out her brain. Did you say this was 63 or 61? Uh, this was 1963. I think they were on the clock at this point. I think in 63 was by the time JFK had said, we're going to send a man to the moon before the end of the decade. I imagine by this point they were, like, on the clock. France were, like... We need to do something. I, I, I mean, actually, that's a good point. It was France, so I don't know. Maybe the Americans were like, we need to know if there's anything mm. like that could affect the brain. Just kill that cat. Yeah, I mean, like, imagine lots of these organisations were hopefully... Also, still... cats can live, like, 20 years, man. <laughs> well, I mean, Miss, Miss Baker lived, like, forever. Yeah. She lived until 27. So they're not going to wait another 20 years to examine the brain before they do their next launch. I mean, to add insult to injury, like, Philisette was, like, was almost, like, erased from history because she's not as famous as Laika the space yeah. dog that we'll get onto. But fortunately, this amazing man, Matthew Serge Guy, um, which is the strangest name... Matthew Serge Guy. Matt Serge Guy. Matt Serge Guy. Yeah. Uh, he sounds like a like bad protagonist <laughs> of like a game. Um, what's what's the protagonist's name in um, that Ryan Reynolds film? <laughs> Which one? The one where he's like he's an NPC. 
Oh, what free guy? Free guy. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like a, like, kind of like a name like that. Matt Surge guy. Matt Surge guy. Oh no, it's guy. Worse, it's Matt Surge guy. <laughs> Matt Surge guy. He was a cosmic cat enthusiast, and according to the Smithsonian Magazine, he created a Kickstarter campaign to have Philosette immortalized. I wouldn't trust this guy. Guess how much he raised <sighs> for Philosette. It's going to be an insane amount. Is it six digits? No. Five digits. Yeah. Okay. No. Five digits. Five digits. <laughs> 50 grand? $57,000. Ah, nice, Danny. Smash that. <laughs> uh, and now there's a statue of her. No, well, okay, that's nice. She's immortalised in bronze. That's nice. Although I do think a cosmic cat enthusiast launching a Kickstarter. I don't know. I wouldn't He's have... a cat person. Yeah. <sighs> Am I stereotyping too much when there's a guy who's just a bit too into cats? I mean, this is going to be me in the future. <laughs> All right, carry on. I'm a cosmic cat enthusiast. <laughs> but she's got a really cute statue. It's five foot tall and it, p- it depicts her perched on top of the earth, mm-hmm. um, gazing up towards the sky. That's nice. It's nice to have a memorial. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to probably the most famous of animal cosmonauts, Laika. Laika, the, the, the Soviet space dog. The Soviet space dog. And I think, I think useful to go into a little bit of background on the Soviets and what they were up to. Um <laughs> And thank you, kind of maybe a bit of skewed history here. Um, History.nasa.com helped me quite a bit of the following info. So further across the pond than France, the Soviets were keeping close tabs on what the US were doing. (laughs) How many monkeys have they killed this year? Exactly. With their V2 and AeroB missile projects during the the early 50s that we spoke about. Uh, And they based their experiments on that American like biomedical research. Um, So Soviet rocket pioneers, they use mice, rats and rabbits as one-way passengers for their tests Mm -hmm. so i think it's worth noting and you know i don't want to i don't want to set up like the soviet union is a bad guy although (laughs) although although (laughs) because like you know nasa was killing animals as well like you know it's it's a massive question of ethics does it feel like the soviet union was a bit more callous with it or something i mean there's a difference knowing that it's going to be a suicide mission. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess if they went in with no intention of getting them back, yeah. uh, you could argue that. And you could argue that the Albert tests, there was a parachute recovery system. Yeah. The aim was to get the animal back yeah. alive. Um, but eventually they chose small dogs for like the next phase of testing. Uh, so dogs were chosen over monkeys. Okay. America is like, leaning towards um, uh, monkeys, whereas Soviets went for dogs, uh, because it was felt that they would be like less fidgety in flight. I mean, weren't the Americans uh, anesthetized? Anna- I still can't say that word. Anesthetizing. Were, were, weren't they putting the monkeys to sleep before the flights anyways? Uh, some of them they did, yeah. Some of them. Okay. Okay. And I think also, I, I feel like, as you said, like maybe a more callous approach and also the kind of, you know, Americans love their dogs. Yeah. As most countries do. Yeah. But uh, the main reason I, the Russians chose though was because it was they were less fidgety. Le- more less keen to like bang around I mean, like, so. monkeys like crazy yeah no i mean my my thought is that they must have had the monkey asleep a lot of the time because otherwise that monkey might have been, been causing been wild an absolute ruckus most of the time imagine just, like living in that test center <laughs> no thanks no anti-gravity poo being thrown at you yeah but i mean at that point they're just by themselves so they're just flinging poo that will then might just hit them back in the face 
So a test of two dogs would allow for more accurate results was the thinking. So they went up in pairs for a while. Okay. Uh, this was before Leica though. So between 1951 and 1952, the Soviet R1 series rockets carried nine dogs all together with three dogs ending up flying twice. Okay. So they went up once and they got to go again. So each flight carried a pair of dogs in hermetically sealed containers um, that were covered by parachute. Nice. So others went on like a one-way trip. These ones were equipped with parachutes for recovery. Of these early space-bound hounds, only a few have been remembered by name. So we're going to give them a little shout-out here because these are the ones that, like, time kind of forgets. So in 1951, in August, Dzik and Tsisigian, which means gypsy, were launched. These two were the first canine suborbital astronauts. So they were the first ones to make it up and they were successfully successfully retrieved. But you don't hear about those ones. Not very famous. In September of the same year, 1951... Dzik went up again, and another one called Lisa was launched. But this second Russian dog flight was unsuccessful. Shortly afterwards, Semelea, which was, means bold, and Malishka, which means little one, were prepared to launch. Semelea, 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 Semelea. We'll go with one of them, it's fine. Semelea ran off the day before the launch. Ooh, clever girl. Clever girl. The crew were worried that wolves that lived nearby would eat her. So they were concerned about that. Oh, oh no, those wolves are going to eat the dog that we were going to shoot into the sun. <laughs> oh, no. I think we're, we're going to see evidence of, you know, it's the scientists, like, do have a heart and a lot of them do uh, care. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit dismissive here, I'm sure. But I, I think it's completely valid because it's like, oh, no, she's going to be eaten by wolves. <laughs> You're firing her get into her space. Back, get her back into the hermetically sealed chamber. <laughs> if it was going to kill her, it's me. <laughs> But she returned a day later. Why? <laughs> Why did you come back? <laughs> and they resumed testing. They were like, we're ready to go. And that fourth test was a failure with two oh, dog fatalities. Yeah. Um, the fifth <laughs> test launch of two dogs is the fifth one. Was successful. It's all very hit and miss, isn't it? <laughs> Are you okay? I, I, the dog escaped. They ran away. And then they came back and then they died. Like, who... I wonder if, like, she came back, like, off her own accord and just waltzed straight up into the test centre or, like, a Soviet guard was like, there she is, and then grabbed her and then put her back in. Like, we need you for the test. And then it dies anyways. But it's like dogs are so loyal and so lovely. Like, they probably love these people unconditionally. Not, Not enough to not run away. But also because they didn't feed the dogs that well because... Weight comes in massively. Here I'm really showing my scientific knowledge. Weight comes in massively yeah, into calculations. Um, so they have to keep it controlled and... Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, the dogs were starved at points to be prepared for liftoff. And she might have run off, as dogs do, you know, maybe scrounging for food or just because dogs. Yeah, just because dogs. Yeah, just because dogs. And then, you know, oh, let's go back. Because my people are there and, you know, your people are testing you. (laughs) On September 15th, 1951, the sixth of the two dog launches occurred. One of the two dogs, Bobic, escaped. So successful escape. (laughs) The Soviets were garbage at keeping their test subjects. This is like our super secret, like, (laughs) space base. It's just this cardboard (laughs) sign up front. Super secret. Shh. Beware, there are dogs. And it, yeah, there's just, con- just dogs walking in and out whenever they want. <laughs> it just makes me think of those horrible maxims. It's like, 
forget the children. <laughs> what is it? It's like, don't worry about the dog, but where are the children? <laughs> One of the two dogs, Bobbick, yep, escaped and a replacement was found near the local canteen. Oh, wow. Yeah, just like... This is why a I random don't buy the whole we're starving them to keep the weight in check for, for controlled results. Because if one can escape and they just replace it with a random dog they found. Yeah. Not even... The, and a stray will be quite skinny, to be fair. Yeah, not even like the backup dog or yeah. whatever. Just to grabbing this one and putting it into her, into the hermetically sealed chamber. Well, this is like this is like a bit sad. I mean, it's all sad, but... Oh, here we go. So that... I'm, I'm going to take another swig of drink. <laughs> That's fine. She was, she was a mutt and she was given the name Zib. Which is the Russian acronym for substitute for missing dog Bobbick. <laughs> her name was substitute for missing dog Bobbick. At least give her a name. What a name. Yeah. And the, the two dogs, they, Bob, Zip and, and um, <laughs> the two dogs, they reach 100 kilometres and they return successfully. Nailed it. Yeah. So, and other dogs that were associated um, with this series of flights, just give them a little bit of a shout out. One was called Albina, which means whitey. I could have guessed that one. Dimka, Smoky, Modista, which means fashionable, Ooh. and Zovyaka. That sounds very Soviet. Which means nat. Nat. Yeah, G-N-A-T. Okay. Yeah. That's not a nice name. I mean, some of them are like, really cute and endearing. And others, is like, and another one is like, you're a substitute for this other person we actually zip. loved. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're not, not even going to bother naming you. You're just a substitute <laughs> for the dog that went missing. And it's like they have like must have like some really weird like relationships where it's just like scientists really like the dogs, uh-huh. and, and and I think there was definitely like instances of that where it's like they felt Ooh. awful, but it's like you know you're living under the Soviet Union, so that, you have to do what they say. That would make a good like short story or something. Yeah, yeah, or like a weird. No film. one steal that. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a little short story. You're gonna write that. But all of this experiment paved the way for Sputnik 2. Because <laughs> Sputnik 1 had made history. Sputnik 1 had become the first man-made object yes. to satellite Earth in Earth's orbit on October 4th, 1957. And obviously it was like a kick up the butt for the Americans. Like, you know, Russians are beating you. First man, first thing to orbit the Earth. Um, and according to the Smithsonian Magazine, Soviet engineers planned Sputnik 2 rather hastily. I think I remember hearing Sputnik 2 was meant to be launched on a specific date because of uh, an anniversary or something. Oh, fantastic knowledge, Danny. Is it, was it the founding of the Soviet Union or the anniversary of the first launch? It was the 40th anniversary of Russia's Bolshevik Revolution. That's it. They had to make it really quick to coincide with November 7th, 1957, to coincide with the anniversary. Yeah. So they're using what they'd learnt from the unmanned and undogged Sputnik 1, and obviously all of the other like launches that were dogged. They often worked without blueprints. Teams worked quickly to build a ship that included um, a pressurised con- compartment mm-hmm. for a space dog. America were not happy. <laughs> you know, this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is another arena for the Cold War because, you know, they're trying to up each other in every area. Yeah. So the space race is like on full like heat here. And, and also Russia, you know, showing off some sort of superiority over America at this point, also just showed off how powerful Russia's R7 like missiles were. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I do remember seeing, I can't remember what it was, I watched a documentary about, um, about, about Russia's space programme ages ago, and the, uh, the hysteria over Sputnik 1 was mm. quite massive because it didn't do anything. The propaganda... 
because the actual satellite, the actual Sputnik thing, all it did was just like send out like a beep. It's yeah. just like a big radio signal. But if you see all, see all the newspapers uh, in America at the time, it's things like Sputnik is now over America. There's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, talking, we've spoken about it before, how nothing really changes, you know. <laughs> A drone over America now, like a weather balloon over Big America. Big old balloon, but yeah. And I mean, like that's slightly more justified. That's probably got a. That's probably setting more than a beat. But again, the hysteria. Yeah, but yes. Yeah, so you can totally understand in that climate of people being like, "Oh my god, the Russians! They just have this thing up there. We don't know what it's doing." And the Soviet Union on the other side, looking to their citizens, like, "Look, Look at, at us. us! Look how great we, we are! We did it! We're beating America at this thing." So the Soviet canine recruiters began their quest to send Lycra up with a herd of female stray dogs uh, because females were smaller and apparently a bit more docile than male dogs. And they did tests on them to see who could be the most docile and who had the best temperament. Okay. So the worst competition you could have. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually the canine finalists, they lived in tiny pressurised capsules for days and then weeks at a time to like kind of prepare them and who would like be best under the conditions. And the doctors often like check their reactions to changes in air pressure and to the loud noises that would accompany liftoff. Prepping them, prepping yeah. them, who is going to be the best under conditions, who's going to be our best candidate. The scientists also attached a sanitation device, essentially like a sci-fi nappy okay. connected to their behinds <laughs> sci-fi nappy. to collect their pee and poop. We need to see if the pee or poop is also mutated. There's <laughs> like... What is, what is the effect of cosmic radiation <laughs> on excrement? What will happen? It's turned into its own life form. <laughs> However, the dogs didn't like their space nappies. Natch. No. Uh, and sometimes to avoid using them, they just didn't go. Oh. Even after like they fed them laxatives, they like just like, we hate this. However, some did adapt to like the weird space nappies. Okay. That's good to know. Dogs are very adaptable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately for them. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, the team chose the placid... Kudryavka, which means little curly, okay. as Sputnik 2's dog, and who would be later renamed as Laika. Oh. And Albina, uh, which means white, was the backup. So introduced... So they actually had a backup dog this time, not just yeah. look around the back of the canteen. So just in case Laika decides <laughs> to run away. The way... Which our dogs are prone to do, apparently. <laughs> as I, you know, you're, you're locking them in pressurised containers. How are they getting out? Like... The, the security on these bases must be lax. Maybe maybe there was, like, a scientist who was like, go, get out of here, run. But you know what? I, I, I completely see it. Yeah. You, you, it's Don't one, come back, you idiot. Come it's on. one thing doing one act of, like, sustained... Or one act of cruelty yeah. on an animal. But then to sustain it over weeks and months of preparation must, like, do awful things to your soul. Yeah. Um, if you have one. I've just read um, Of Mice and Men for the first time. And spoiler alert, there's a point where, you know, George kills Lenny by shooting in the back of the head. And like, you know, killing your friend is obviously awful. But doing it so that no one else does it. Yeah. And also Lenny had done a bad thing, not his fault. But, you know, I can totally see like some scientists just cracking and just being like, flee, run. <laughs> run for your lives. Don't then, come back. And then that one just came back. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. Oh, no, I tried. <laughs> Laika got her name. Laika means Barker in Russian. Barker. Barker. Uh, because she was introduced to the public via radio. Again, you know, massive uh, corian- um, coriander. <laughs> Again, massive. I can't even think of the word now. Propaganda. You know, massive. Did you really get coriander and propaganda? 
<laughs> yeah, it rhymes. Coriander propaganda. Sorry, feel, feel free, feel, feel free to, to redo that one. I'll, I'll edit it. The citronella grenade on to me. It's not even citronella. What is it? What do the Americans call coriander? Um, Lemoncello. It's not lemoncello. What do um, Americans... Or, oregano? No, that's the other one. That's another herb. Uh, oh, cilantro. 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 Luigi, get the cilantro. <laughs> In my Boston accent. Boston, uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> Never, never again, mimosas. <laughs> never again, bulk recording. So Laika got her name because when she was introduced to the public, she barked. That's good. On radio. And that's when she got like the moniker, Laika. Ima- imagine she didn't bark. Hello to the nation. Here is the dog that we're going to be sending to space. Say hello, dog. Silence. Believe me, there is a dog here <laughs> and we are going to send this into space. <laughs> And apparently, Albina, the backup, had actually outperformed Laika in testing. Oh. Again, the worst competition you can win. Yeah. But they, because... They, they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. But because she'd recently given birth to puppies... How? I know. Like, where is the control over the, these... What, what even was the Soviet space program? Yeah. It's like, are the dogs all together? How she got impregnated? Anyway. So she'd recently given birth to puppies, and because... She'd apparently won the affection of her keepers. So, like, these develop- these relationships are developing. They decided not to send Albina <laughs> because they preferred her to like her. Yeah. Also, she has puppies. <laughs> yeah. She's being a mom. She's being a mom, guys. You can't Come kill on. a mom. Come on. I just... Spoiler alert. Um, so... <laughs> but she was the backup, so they performed surgery on both the dogs to prepare them, and they embedded, like, medical vices in their bodies to monitor their heart impulses, mm-hmm. breathing rates, blood pressure, and physical movement, mm-hmm. right? Engineers were concerned about the weight of Sputnik 2, as it was six times heavier than Sputnik 1. Bloody hell. So obviously to make room for that, like, um, hermetically sealed, like, capsule for Lyca as well. Uh, so to keep their keep it within the limits they wanted, they fed Lyca only once, presumably, before takeoff. Mm-hmm. Not the whole... T- obviously, they fed her the whole time she was there, but as liftoff came came towards like they obviously began starving her because they need to keep her in a certain weight limit but apparently there was one female doctor who broke the protocol and like fed like her before she had lift off and there was also a story of another scientist who took her home to play with his kids (laughs) because he wanted to do something nice for her why did the soviet union crumble i don't get it and it's just you know they knew it was a suicide mission wait did they have no intention of bringing like back no bloody hell it was it was a canine suicide mission why they knew she was going to die why they know they can bring them back and they don't well everything was so hasty aye, aye, aye. they they, they didn't have time all right or... never mind whatever i said before where i was like oh you know maybe they had no choice maybe they're just as bad as american scientists no no, no. i refuse now to believe that aye, aye. there was no re-entry strategy see here's the thing i knew that I knew the ultimate fate of Laika, but I wasn't sure if it was like a... Malfunction, yeah, yeah. you know, failure of the parachute, that kind of thing. Yeah. There, there, there was no, yeah. there was no, they weren't planning on bringing her back. So she was expected to die. Not from starvation or dehydration, but through oxygen deprivation. Oh, okay. But I mean, it's hard, to, it's awful, but, you know, I'd rather you just kind of fall asleep. Is that how it would have gone down? It, yeah, I think with, when you, with oxygen deprivation, you just kind of like drift off to sleep and you, you just don't wake up, don't, don't you? Okay. Rather than like burning up or dying yeah. of starvation or hydration. 
So Sputnik 2, with Leica inside, was launched on November 3rd, 1957 at 5am. And the National Air and Space Museum holds declassified printouts showing Leica's um, like kind of like records during the flight and like the, the like kind of medical data she was sent back. And she was very scared, Aww. particularly like during the liftoff, because obviously like, her heartbeat and her breathing rate Not shocking. Yeah. increased like dramatically. But actually what happened to her uh, is a bit of a grey area in that there's a few like competing sources of information. Whereas like that information that was um, retrieved after the Soviet Union fell kind of tells the real story. So the Soviets, they maintained that Leica survived for several days and falsified reports, all for propaganda yeah. purposes, not cilantro purposes, not for coriander purposes. But that data that was recovered after the Soviet Union fell showed like a very different story to what the Soviets put out to their people. Um, so her vital signs returned to normal after the initial launch. Mm-hmm. For the first three orbits of Earth, she was fine. And one orbit took about 103 minutes. Okay. About six hours or something, she's okay. Yeah. Just under. By the fourth orbit, however, uh, the heat shield around the rocket, around the satellite failed. And the temperature inside the capsule increased to about 42 degrees C. Too hot. Too hot. Not good. And one of the Russian medical doctors that was um, a kind of a space dog trainer um, involved in, in like the launch, he spoke out, out in like 1993. His name was Oleg Gazenko, and he revealed that Leica had actually died soon after the launch. So it wasn't like days and days and days right. of her being up there. Like it was within from within a few hours. From the temperature. It, obviously, that conflicts with the Soviets' fake yeah. news, so he kind of like a bit of a you know a whistleblower almost. But yeah, he said there's really no expectation that she made it beyond an orbit or two after that increase in temperature. And since they never recovered her, and they never recovered the ship, is that still just floating about up there? The ship did land, right? Uh, after like about six months. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Lyca is not still up there. That makes me feel a tiny bit better. It's a tiny bit better. It's the start of like a horror story. Yeah, it is grim, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm quoting straight from Wikipedia here about like the flight. So data received on the second day showed no signs of breathing, heart rate or blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But the cardio sensor was still registering a a heartbeat. But I, I can also, you know, if there's no heart rate, how can there be a heartbeat? Maybe it's like maybe like a mix up with yeah. what's going on in the capsule. Who knows? But by the morning of the sixth of November, there was no signs of life in the capsule. And then on the tenth of November, the batteries in the spacecraft ran out, and all data transmission ceased. So it was designed so that every ninety minutes, it would like switch on, okay. send a snapshot of data back, and then turn off to like get the most out of the battery that was in there. And Sputnik two re-entered the atmosphere on the 14th of April, 1958, after 162 days in space and about 2,500 orbits of the Earth. And then the surviving debris impacted in the Amazon region of South America. Oh, so it didn't land gently, it crashed. Again, no parachute recovery system. Gotcha. It re-entered Earth's orbit and was essentially like a little meteor. They just just threw space space space. junk into the Amazon yeah man it was, but a, I, I don't it, it was it, a simpler time I don't know if it was ever recovered but I mean like most of it probably burnt up on point entry yeah yeah they um, could have started a forest fire for crying out loud true I mean the Amazon rainforest is very wet oh yeah that's true but Gzenko speaking at a press conference all those years later said 
The more time passes, the more I'm sorry about it. We did not learn enough from this mission to justify the death of the dog. Well, I mean, it's not like they were doing that mission to gain any knowledge. They were doing it because they had to for the for the anniversary, right? And maybe coated in like the the kind of fiction of we're gathering so much data yeah, and, I'm, yeah. and I'm sure they did get that telemetry data well, I'm sure yeah. they learned stuff yeah. but not enough to justify like what happened yeah that's uh, as, as far as missions going wrong that's pretty well it's, you can't even argue it being going wrong because it kind of, everything kind of happened that they expected almost yeah except, except for the dog not living as long as they expected it's a strange messed up thing to say that Laika's death is proof that life in space is possible because had the he had the 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 heat protection cone not failed. Yeah, I mean, she, I guess you could say that. Yeah, but I mean, there was no attempt to, like, you know, get her back to see if there was like, any yeah. mutations because it raised or anything like that. But I mean, while the Cold War was going on, animal rights, particularly on like, the Soviet-ruled side, there was, like, nothing about, like, animal rights outrage, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But several humane and animal societies in the West did protest while all of this was happening. Because obviously it was news. It was mm-hmm. big news that an animal was being sent into space, like this dog was being sent into space. So in the UK, the National Canine Defence League, they called on all dog owners to observe a minute's silence for each day that Laika remained in space. And other pro- others called on protests outside Soviet embassies. A pack of dog lovers in New York attached protest signs to their pets and marched outside the United Nations in New York wow. to say this is awful. And Russia themselves, they never again sent a dog into space without a parachute recovery system. Wow. I mean, this didn't stop more dogs from dying. No. But the intention was at least better. Uh, yeah, a bit better. Being like, oh, I guess we shouldn't just be killing a lot of animals. Yeah, and, and it's kind of... Like, In a the, very expensive way. Yeah, and like Alberts, the Alberts example is, you know, they, they died through errors and mistakes. Yeah. As opposed to... We're sending these things up to yeah, die. instead of just planning to do it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's something about the Laika story which really hits, whereas, like, the Alberts is still very sad. But yeah. there's something about the Laika one. I don't know. I, I, I think it's because the Alberts are like, none of it is great. No. But I think Laika one particularly being a suicide mission. Because it is, I guess it's the most, uh, notable one because it's the one we're going. We're sending the dog on a suicide mission to celebrate the birth of our country, or the birth of our nation. Yeah, and we're going to do it by killing a dog, but also it's going to go wrong, and the dog's going to die way longer, way quicker than we intended to yeah. kill it. None of that sounds good. And also, I guess maybe I, I wonder how many other of the test dogs got to be on the radio. That's true. How how many of the other dogs were like were like a nationwide known figure? So so I guess if like was was the first, that would get attention. Mm. And also, it would have been one of the things that I guess America that the West could also intercept because they could probably hear Soviet radio. They're like, oh, they're launching a do- this dog. Yeah, out there. and that's why I wanted to mention the other dogs as well yeah. because you know, like wasn't the first one. No, it's no no less. Uh, there's no lesser sacrifice. Exactly. But, you know, Laika's fate has spawned, like, a huge, uh, substantial legacy. Uh, I have seen footage of, I think, the propaganda film of Laika from the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. It's, um, they, they show it. So, so it's like, it's almost like an animation of, like, uh, the spaceship. And they do this, like, little magnifying glass thing and, and then zoom out and show, like, just footage of a dog. Yeah. And, uh, like, here's Laika, the space dog. She's very happy up 
there kind of thing. He was like the space dog Expand- on her way but, to space. But Soviet. But Soviet. <laughs> but Russian. I, I won't try to do that accent. <laughs> and like, you know, that her legacy, you know, like, least of which is like, you know, the, the spark of debate around animal ethics mm-hmm. in like space travel. Um, so she's had statues erected, poetry, books written for her, about her. That's nice. Films, YouTube videos. There's a British indie band called Laika. There's a band fraud in Finland called Laika and the Cosmonauts. Nice. Um, Haruki Murakami wrote a story about her. And in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, Christmas special and volume three oh. coming out. Cosmo the Space Dog was based on her. Oh, of course. That's why it speaks with a Russian accent. Yeah, she's a, he's a Soviet dog based oh. on Laika. Is, okay, yeah. Have you played a Guardians of the Galaxy game? No, I haven't. Because uh, Cos- It was on Game Pass, and then I downloaded it, and I was like, I can't wait to play this game, and it went <laughs> off Game Pass. Cosmo's in it, he's really funny. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's, like, he's, uh, he's a pretty important character. So Laika continues to live on. I, without me even realising without you even realising I mean we're going to wrap up shortly but there have obviously been more animals sent into space <laughs> since Laika it didn't stop but I'm going to just whiz through a, a few here because I want to end with like a little note and like a about Laika like as well so January 31st 1961 Ham the first chimpanzee who survived launch and paved the way for America's first human astronaut who was Alan B. Shepard Jr. Nice. Goliath November 10th 1961 great name a tiny squirrel monkey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a scientist thought they were being funny. Yeah, but RIP to, to Goliath. Oh, they didn't make it. His rocket was destroyed 35 seconds after oh, launch. Jesus. Yeah. Very SpaceX of them. Yeah. Enos. Enos. Great name. November 29th, 1961. First chimp to orbit the Earth. Cool. Was very successful. Made it back okay. He died of a non-space related injury or thing. He had he died of dysentery. Oh, okay. Eleven months after the flight. <laughs> Sad. Wow. Tragic. 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 You're awful. Tragic. And yeah, non space related. I think like, you know, pointing out it's not space related. Yeah, no no one said it's space dysentery or anything. He drank out of a dirty puddle. Grim. Yeah, so I wanted to end on a poem about Laika. Okay. I and I, I would have really loved to have found so even people in the Soviet Union like protested against Laika going up. Mm-hmm. And there was an anonymous poem spread around Moscow criticizing the Soviet Union and and like kind it's of very brave. Celebrating Laika, very brave. Um, but I couldn't find it. Oh. But I did find this lovely one by Brennig Davies called First Dog in Space. They say that from space the earth looks like a small blue ball, but how did it look to you, Laika? From that shuttle like a balloon whose string they let go and which they never trained for recall. They say that you are a stray who never fought with other dogs and that the clever people called you pet names through the wires of your shrinking cages and that before you died overheating in that heavy weightless cold, one of them took you home and you played with his kids. They say that from space, the earth looks like a small blue ball. I'll throw it for you, Laika, if you'll chase it. Dart through the stratosphere like a comet, undeserving of its fate. Well, that was sad. Yeah. But it's nice that people do remember Laika. It'd be nice to remember all the others, but I guess uh, there's only so much grief people can give to all the test yeah. space animals in all time. And it's, you know, it's like the kind of a figurehead of human uh, animal experimentation, I guess, yeah. as well. But I'm glad we got to mention a few names that, you know, paved the way for Elon Musk to, <laughs> to blow up a couple just of blow up a couple of rockets and uh, spend lots of his money. Yeah. 
That was really interesting, man. It's really, really interesting. God. It's, I, it's, I'm surprised you made it all the way through. Like, I'm surprised you got through all your research without being like, actually, screw I mean, this topic. I mean, thinking about it now, it's taken me a while to research this. And I keep, and I was like, am I, have I got like COVID fatigue or something? <laughs> and like, can I not focus? But I wonder if it is because like, it's pretty brutal. It's a pretty, it's a pretty grim bit of subject matter. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I guess, uh, yeah, it's good that such things don't happen. I mean, speaking of uh, SpaceX, SpaceX and Musk, did you see when they did launch the Falcon Heavy the first time that they were launching the the human capsule to reach the International Space Station? They use a dummy now. They use a dummy, a very advanced dummy mm. that simulates like a, a human's condition. Oh, wow. So, you know, no more chimps. But imagine, yeah, if it would be very surreal if all of SpaceX had like developed, but we still used chimps, yeah, for sure, and we just had the HD footage of the chimp just floating like in the cabin. I mean, to 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 memory, I'm sure there has been, but I can't think of like a human who has been on like a test flight such as this and and like blown up. I'm sure there is. Mm, I don't know about test flights. I know, I, I guess the most famous one would be, I think it's Apollo 1 or Apollo 2. Mm. The one where uh, the fire broke out on the launch pad. Right. And, and, and I mean, it's also just as depressing as the rest of this. But basically, they were doing a practice of like the launch sequence. And the fire broke out, um, I think it's Apollo 1 or 2. A fire broke out in the capsule. And they realized, due to like dodgy wiring or something. Mm. And it killed all three astronauts. Awful. And, and and the thing that they mentioned, they were like, this is, this is the worst thing ever. It's like, it's like the biggest loss of life from like due to a space related thing. But they were like, because of that accident, they figured out so much. Mm. Like they were like, I think, I think one of the quotes is if that had never, if, if that incident didn't happen, we never would have got to the moon because something else would have happened or, or something would have gone wrong during the flight. Right. So because of that kind of tragic thing happening, it meant later on that things could be better. So I guess you could argue, same with the animals, like they had to, it, you know, it had to be done. Like, you know, certain tests had to be done and certain sacrifice had to be made. And, you know, I think it's always about its intention, isn't it? And it's like what we said, if you have designs to do the best by these animals mm. in terms of, we're going to try and get these animals yeah. back, you know, they're, they're being pioneers. Like we're grateful for their sacrifice. Yeah. It's almost like in a very like Native American way, like, you know, use all of the animal. Yeah. We, you know, we, we respect what they're doing, even though there's no consent there because they no. can't consent. Um, we respect what they're doing and we're going to try and get them back to the best of our ability. Yeah. Whereas like Laika and like the other dogs, they didn't have that. No, but if our conspiracy theory that some scientists purposely let them loose and broke them out, then at least that was something, even though we can't ever prove it. And it's so funny, while I was researching, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that, there's just a lot of assumption. Because in my head, from the amount that escaped, it's either some people working there couldn't bear it and wanted to get some of these animals out, or they had the shoddiest security yeah. ever. Would you go to the Space Hotel? The Space Hotel? Aren't they building a space hotel? Uh, they probably... Isn't Richard Branson building a space hotel? Richard Branson's space thing has just gone in the toilet. Oh, is it just he's, like... He's His Virgin Orbit or Virgin up. Galactic thing's, like, bit gone bankrupt or whatever. Oh, really, has it? Yeah. I mean, it's so expensive. <laughs> I mean, like, I think 
looking up is great. And I think space is beautiful. It's so scary. It's terrifying. I'd like to keep my space exploration to Alien, uh, (laughs) Interstellar, and sci-fi stuff. I don't know. Until space flight was as safe as plane flight. Yeah. I wouldn't go space. It, it, like, I mean, so, so you're essentially waiting until it's, it's as ubiquitous as, as, fly, as plane flying. Yeah. And, I, and if it's not in my lifetime, I don't care. Like, mm. that's fine. <laughs> I will stay on our lovely planet Earth. Thanks. I don't know. I think I would like to do like a high altitude flight. You have to see sometimes that there's planes that will do a very high altitude flight. Yeah. So you can. I would um, do that. Yeah. I don't know. So I, you can see like the curvature of the Earth. Yeah. I and s- prove all the flat earthers wrong. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, I would sacrifice my seat to a couple of flat earthers. Yeah? You'd yeah. pay for their ticket? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> they'd find a way to debunk what they're saying. Yeah, they would. Or 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 they, they'd be converted. There's something in my food! They'd be converted and then they would tell the rest of the flat earthers and the flat earthers would be like, oh no, they've just been bribed or something. Oh, they'd cancel them. Yeah. Oh, 100% definitely. Yeah. They've been got by the FBI and the CIA. Yeah. and yeah. They were blinking they Morse code. You know, yeah. They, yeah, 100%. Yeah. One other thing, uh, just in terms of like all the statues and testaments for the animals, I think the only other statue I know of that is dedicated to animals uh, for scientific research, I think, I could be getting this wrong, it's either somewhere in Eastern Europe or it's outside or it's in Moscow, there's a, st- a bronze statue of uh, a mouse mm. and it's like a mouse wearing a lab coat and glasses and doing measurements and stuff mm. and it's like a tribute to all the mice that have um, been used sacrificed for science. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really cute statue and I thought it's a nice thing for all the yeah, anonymous uh, mice. For that. I mean, it's, it's very much a mouthpiece, isn't it? It is and... I don't know. I, I like, like, like maybe we're retreading points. Here. Like it is necessary, I, like for for, uh, for technological advancement. Yeah, as the the quote that you mentioned at the start, where it's like, until you do it, you don't know. Talking about space, until you're able to actually send something living and breathing up there, you'll never know. It's a shame, but it it happened. It's done. I don't think we're ever doing it again. And the last time I remember a chimp being in a spaceship was the 2001 version of Planet of the Apes. Right in the film. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. no. You're not... I, lo- I love the new versions of the new Planet of the Apes. No, the, those, those new ones are good. There was one by Tim Burton. Oh. You, you didn't see this? No. It's Tim Burton, the Planet of the Apes, starring Mark Wahlberg as an astronaut. And he has a chimp that he's training to use a space capsule. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think that, funny enough, I think in my research I found there were... There were animals launched into space in the 2000s. Um, I think Iran sent a cat up in like 2001 okay. or 2003. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but like, you know, there have been like fairly recent examples. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, cosy lives. And <laughs> I, just, I don't think I don't think many people are, are bothering that much, that much right now. And it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where it's quite funny how in like the 50s, the 1950s, Interest wanes, interest yeah. goes, and depending on what government is in charge and stuff, and you know, spying on what other countries are doing, and it's just like, okay, that the the let's put the brakes on this because we want to put money elsewhere into other things, and it's interesting that like now that um, America in particular are releasing all these USO thingies and UFO like documents yeah. recently, and it's like, is the gaze going to go back towards maybe like? alien research now that we're thinking about space research again well they they did just launch the the juice mission if you saw that what's the juice mission the juice mission is uh, uh, a european space agency mission to, that will take about eight years that is sending a satellite to the moons of jupiter awesome. to look for signs of life 
Um, are you still thirsty for knowledge, then? I'm always thirsty for knowledge. But maybe in, enough about animal death. I've had now. enough for today. I think I'm going to take a break, guys. Yeah. Not from the podcast, but, you know, <laughs> surgery was a lot, even though that was that was a while ago. Do your next topic on, like, candy floss or something. <laughs> or, like... Yeah. It's it's deep, but we have to, again we have to look into. Someone this. has to say this. Someone has to say this. Someone has to sing the song. These unsung yeah. heroes. Yeah. And I have a beautiful singing voice. Exactly. And that's why I'm here. Exactly. That's why I'm here, Danny. I, I know. That's why. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I, I, was, I was fascinated to hear about. And I, I'm, I'm glad that Phyllis made it back. Yeah, same. But I wish she'd run away. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. I again, I just, I need, I need to comfort myself with. Instagram videos of cats now. <laughs> well, we know what to do after this, then. Yeah, just <laughs> put it on the big screen, yeah. watch tons of cat just, videos. Just get our airplay on. And if you ever get a chance and you see one of these memorials or statues on your travels, leave a little banana, leave a little bit of cheese, leave a little tin of tuna. What do dogs like? Bones. Bones. Not bones. Not bones. That's <laughs> more Leave a little bicky. Leave a steak. Steak's a bit much. Why? Expensive. Yeah. They, they, they served us so well. Cost of living crisis. Cause he lives, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I've been George. I've been Danny. <laughs> Does that date this episode? Probably, yeah. Inflation will be all gone by the time this comes out. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Anything you want to plug? No. No, I think we did all the plugging at the start. Check so. us out. Uh, 30 for knowledge and all the socials. Email us at 30 for knowledge at outlook.com. At gmail.com. Do I always... Oh, is... Are you correcting me or is that one too? No, that's one too. Okay. No, no, no. I'm not being passive aggressive. <laughs> you were subtly correcting Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Actually. No, no. I'll never do it subtly. I'm like... Ugh. Do you not know it by now? <laughs> and we've got both. It's fine. And who am I again? I'm George. He's George. I'm Danny. See you later. Bye.